why do you point at me when we're doing a podcast so much? I don't know. I'm like sitting back in my chair with my feet up and mumbling, and Donovan's very um, pronounced and articulate, and he points a lot when he talks. I Take your fingers out of my face. I speak with my hands. What do you want me to do? You are now listening to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. It is the Waggle Podcast and fans. This podcast each and every week is brought to you by our friends at Sport Clips. They are known for their Sport Clips MVP haircut experience, massaging shampoos, hot steam towels, sports on TV, like football, hockey, baseball, basketball, but let's be honest, we care about the football. Oh, and we care about the legendary haircuts. You can now book your appointment online at sportclips.ca. That's Port clips.ca speaking of booking appointments david sanchez i'm donovan bennett we are here breaking it down for you this is the east preview and edmonton is going to extend their east stay they booked their appointment to the east final and they are one win away from getting back to the province of alberta and getting back to the gray cup Trevor Harris just going off. We got some big football games, Davis. How to stop Trevor Harris is the question. You can't stop him. You can only hope to kill him. The man, him. the myth, the legend. He he was awesome. I, you know, it's interesting, DJ. I was in the presser of Kahari Jones in Montreal the day before the game. And he said something that perked me up in my chair. And by the way... He's their their whole team was really good and some teams no names no blame are really terrible um, with the media or not with the media but they're really terrible in their pressers they don't say a whole lot Montreal is really good because Enoch is genuine and well spoken passionate so he and he's a guy that talks a lot for them VA is really becoming becoming pretty good. And Kahari is Kahari is great because he's just so real, and uh, he's like it's like he's sitting in the living room talking to his friends when he talks. It's great. Uh, but anyway, he said he said Trevor Harris. His description of Trevor was Trevor Harris is scary back there when he's comfortable, but he said it like man, he's scary. And the next thing he said was he basically. Talking about Trevor, mm-hmm. he basically can put the ball wherever he wants around the field, and for it's fine for me or you to say that. Like man, he can make all the throws if running back Donovan Bennett and cornerback David Sanchez say he can make all the throws. He's got a great arm. He's got you know all the things you hear, all the things you hear people say. But when an ex quarterback and he's the coach of the other team says he can just place the ball, not make the throws place the ball wherever he wants to around the field, and he's scary. That's the descriptives he uses to talk about the op- opposing quarterback. I was I kind of, you know, he, he knew something. Kahari knew something, and uh, whether he could stop it or not is a different story. Uh, the one thing that I looked at when I looked at the game or rewatched the game is they controlled the clock, the Eskimos did, 33 minutes time possession to 20, 21 minutes for the Owls. Now, they did that. You know how many rushing yards they had? 60, 60 yards rushing, the Eskimos. Who controls the, the time of possession with that big of a discrepancy but rushes for 60 yards? You don't see that stat line very often. 
And but they, you know, to what everyone's been saying, Trevor was so efficient in the short pass game and the medium, the medium pass game that they controlled the clock by that. If you look, here's another stat that you'll you'll very so that's one thing you'll never see when you look at a stat line: um, uh, uh, over 10 minute advantage in time of possession and and less than 65 yards rushing. You'll never see that. Next thing you'll never see: the opposition, meaning the Montreal Alouettes, in the red zone. Three for three. They got to the red zone three times, scored three touchdowns. That, and if you go three for three in the red zone, you win the game. Always. That was, But that was why the game was so close. They really dominated on every – Edmonton dominated pretty much every other stat line. But that's why it was close. Edmonton was pretty good in red zone as well. But Montreal was three for three. And I think that was – that was the biggest. Uh, those are the biggest takeaways that I had uh, in that game. Uh, you know, I thought I thought Montreal was uh, gritty in in you know kind of uh, fighting back, making it a game. And for a young, I thought that Edmonton had an advantage going into the game because they're just more experienced all the way around. And I did from you know from top to bottom. Uh, when you have a coach that's you know coached in. A lot of big games. Uh, in, in whatever you think about Jason Moss, he's coaching a lot of big games, and and especially offensively, uh, offensive mind, he's pretty good. He dialed up a great game plan. And Trevor, obviously coming off, you know, just was in the Grey Cup as a starting quarterback, you know, a year ago. So they had the advantage in that in that, in that sense. And I think that experience and and from a scheme standpoint, I think they uh, uh, they were well coached. So. We're going to talk to Marshall Ferguson a bit later in the show to break down the upcoming game between Hamilton and Edmonton. And after that, I think I actually want to get your thoughts on Montreal and their season and and putting it to bed. And there were some comments uh, coming out of that locker room. You, You mentioned the fact that they are a team that is not afraid to talk and be honest. I want to break down some of those comments. But first, let's break down the actual game. Because for me, it's two of the best pure throwers of the football in the league that we have in the quarterbacks. On paper, on paper, two of the most talented teams in the league. Like I think Hamilton played up to and maybe even exceeded their actual level of roster talent. Edmonton, for whatever reason, at times never seemed to get to that level. They were inconsistent week in, week out. Now are they hitting their stride with Trevor Harris coming back? And even the coaching staff, the the head coaches, this is a battle of two former Scott Milanovic assistants. Guys that know each other well, that have played against the Scott Milanovic Bowl. Yeah, his coaching tree precedes him. They've they've played each against each other in the league, and they've coached with each other uh, on staffs. And obviously, they've coached against each other uh, in the league as well. But two guys who literally know each other well. For me, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think all the pressure resides with Hamilton. I think the fact that Edmonton. You're not wrong. Made the postseason and has made it and won and, and, and played well in that win. It's not like Montreal just played poorly. Edmonton played well and took the game. A month ago, we would have said, man, Jason Moss under a lot of pressure. And we'll see what happens offseason. He still might be. But to me, all the pressure this week is with Hamilton. Is that, is that fair? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's... 
Well, when you have a record like Hamilton had, and you earn you three. earn your way to thirteen and three, and earn your way to a one home game for uh, to get to the Grey Cup, you, you the pressure's on you. But I also think that when you reach this point, both teams there's massive pressure on both teams. I know what you're getting at, and if you have to pick a team that has more pressure, sure it's them. Uh, I'm sure it's Hamilton, but I don't. At this point, it's I think it's massive pressure. I've been on both sides of this, and I don't think the pressure. I don't think I don't think Edmonton's coming this game free rolling, like playing fast and free. Because if you go out and stink it up and get blown out, what you did last week doesn't matter. You no, know, if if they go in and Trevor Harris throws five picks and the defense gives up 600 yards to Dane Evans and they lose 56 to 10. No one's saying, yeah, but whew, that East semifinal in Montreal, they, Trevor Harris was sure good. That defense sure stepped up in the playoffs. No one gives a crap. It's, it doesn't matter. So the pressure's still on. They, they only remember in the playoffs. You only remember your last game. Didn't uh, didn't BC? Did, was it two years ago? BC beat somebody. It was it was last year. It was BC went to BC was the crossover. In the East semifinal, they went to Hamilton. So they didn't win a game in the playoffs. They went to Hamilton in the playoffs and got drug 55 to them. They got whooped. And then and then Hamilton went to Ottawa, and then Ottawa handled them well. I guess point being, nobody really cares what Hamilton did in that, in that semi. You go to the finals and get whooped. It doesn't really matter. That was a lot of hard work and research for nothing. <laughs> uh, a guy who does a lot of hard work, a lot of research, Marshall Ferguson. Uh, he's coming up next on The Waggle. So he is the Thai Cats play-by-play man. He does great job making uh, Davis at times sound smarter than he is. No question. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's a great analyst for CFL.ca, and he also when he was a player, could sling the football himself. So who else to bring on to do our Swoop Airlines aerial report than Marshall Ferguson? And Marshall, start there. Break down the two QBs that are going to be playing in the East. Like, Give me your scouting tape on the two of them because for me as a fan watching, these are two guys who are two of the best pure passers of the football the league has right now. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. I would say uh, the the simplistic breakdown of these two guys right now, when I look at the way that they throw, where they throw it, their tendencies, their strengths, their weaknesses is in Dane Evans, you've got someone who uh, has shown the ability as he's learned throughout the season. And it's really, it's evolved and it's changed as he's gone on in his first year, getting a real true starting opportunity in pro football. But uh, he is someone who has relied more than I thought he would on checkdowns, safe stuff, efficient passes. And that's, I think, been designed a lot by Tommy Condell, the OC in Hamilton. But as time's kind of gone on, Donovan and Davis, he's he's kind of figured out when to take his shots, when to take the opportunities down the field. He's also gotten more and more comfortable with the likes of Brandon Banks, Braylon Addison, even Marcus Tucker at times taking shots down the field. So it's it's interesting with Dane because I think we're still learning a lot about where he is. But I see someone who is incredibly accurate underneath but also has a bit of a gunslinger mentality. And really, it's almost like he's got a split personality. And depending on the down, the distance, the play call, he can be either of those two people. And then for Trevor Harris, uh, I think the book is out on him. I think a lot of people understand what he's about. But for Trevor, more than ever, especially in the Eastern semifinal against the Alouettes, it was balls completed at or behind the line of scrimmage, curl concepts where he was just kind of getting just in behind the linebackers or throwing window shots. 
when he sees through the defense, he's the best quarterback in the CFL. And I don't mean that with a caveat. I don't mean that in the first half, the second half, you know, when he's playing at home, road, whatever. When he sees the defense, when he recognizes defensive coverage and he knows what he's dealing with, Trevor Harris is the best quarterback in the CFL. And I think that's what we saw in that game against the Alouettes. It's not always the most dangerous throw. It's not always the most high risk, but it is the most efficient. And I think that's what made a lot of people, including Chris O'Leary on CFL.ca, uh, say that he reminded him of Ricky Ray. So that's that's my breakdown of these two guys is a bit of a different personality, but both of them know when to be kind of more reckless or dangerous, more aggressive, and both of them know when to take the simple stuff and how to be accurate with those plays. So before we break down the game, and this is an East preview, I, I want to lean on your QB acumen and expertise to actually have you break down the two QBs in the other game because I, I think the matchup between them is fascinating. Two guys who started their careers in the East, two guys who shared the quarterback room to start in Saskatchewan, and now they face each other for a chance to go to the Grey Cup. And those two guys obviously are Cody Fajardo and Zach Caleros. When you look at not just their games presently, but the road travel to get to this spot, uh, what do you think of when you think of those two quarterbacks? Yeah, first and foremost, Donovan, I can't believe that we're in this moment. Like the idea of those guys warming up on either side of the field in the Western final and looking down at the other end of the field and realizing who the starting quarterback is for the other team to me is wild. Like I I hope people that are listening to this and CFL fans around the country are as kind of enthralled or just curious about that matchup as I am right now because that's the thing I keep coming back to is just that image of them at opposite ends of the field figuring it out but for me like the the journey that they've had to be able to get here I didn't think Zach was going to play again this year especially when he was an Argonaut I talked to somebody who said Zach didn't know why the hell the Argos traded for him if they didn't want to use him if he was getting cleared and making progress so he was frustrated like openly He was just, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why they'd made this decision if they don't want to use me or if I don't have a purpose in the next little while. And then he ends up getting moved to Winnipeg. And I think we all looked at it and thought, okay, well, they brought him in and he's got to be able to get action. And then Mike O'Shea and Kyle Walters say to our face, no, he's here to give experience to the room and for Chris Traveler to lean on. We watched Chris Traveler play for about six games. We realized, okay, he can't throw it the way you need to be able to throw it in this league right now. At this point in his career, he can't. Maybe in the future he will. But I started to think about, okay, it's a perfect situation. You've got a creative play caller in Paul Appelis. You've got a veteran arm and mind in Zach Carlaros that understands defenses and how to win in the playoffs, how to win in the cold, how to throw a cold ball as well, which we saw in Calgary in the Western Semi. And then you've got Chris Trevler, who is a horse of a human being that has more determination while running the football than anything I will ever do in my life. So when I started to see that combo, and then you look at the target charts for Zach Kalaros and you realize, okay, He's not really doing uh, the intermediate game. He's not taking those window shots that I mentioned with Trevor Harris and, and reading through coverage. He's playing very, very accurately, though. And that's the difference for Zach right now is every ball he threw in that Western semifinal, I understand he was 11 of 21, but the way that he's approaching the game right now, it feels like almost 2015 or even 2016 Zach Kalaros, which even when he came back off the ACL tear, it was almost like a new mentality of, okay, I can't scramble around as much as I used to, so now I'm just going to kill you with my arm. And he's almost, I don't want to say perfected that, but he's improved the way that he approaches working within the pocket in a way that I think you have to respect at this point in his career. And then for Fajardo, it's as simple as this to me, which is I thought Cody Fajardo was a lifer as a backup and a short yardage quarterback. I really did. I didn't think he was ever going to be thrower of the football, passer of the football, have touch, have the accuracy required. But the more you watch of him this year... 
it comes out of his hand a little funky sometimes. It almost feels like a bit of a Philip Rivers type shot put look once in a while on his release. But he gets the ball out of his hand and it ends up where it's supposed to go. And he's accurate. Now, I hope he's healthy enough to really show off what he can do in the Western Final. But for me, those two guys in that matchup, it's the steely kind of tested veteran who knows what it takes against the guy who I never thought would be attempting a pass in a playoff game, let alone as a starter, let alone at home in a Western final. So it, it's an amazing storyline that I can't wait to watch see how it all unfolds. So I lied. I said I was only going to ask you one question about that matchup. I'm going to ask you another one based on what you said. I, I have you know, a couple football beliefs, right? philosophies that I hold true. And one of them is if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. In that you need one guy, one voice to be in the huddle leading the team. It's the, the CEO of the offense and, and you know the, the president of the team. Can you win multiple playoff games and ultimately hoist a great cup with two different quarterbacks being shuttled in? The way CFL defenses are so sophisticated on basically formation, scheme, and tendency, if you're bringing in guys and basically opening it up to, to what's going to be run when they're or not run, in the case of Chris Trevler, when they're on the field, I understand you, you had a while to prepare for Calgary, and it, you hit them a bit with a surprise, one, that Streveler even was playing, and two, that he was going to play the amount of reps that he did. But but is that sustainable t- t- to be able to win multiple games and win a great cup? Usually, I would say no. Like, I, I'm with you on this, that you got two quarterbacks, you don't have one. You got three quarterbacks, you still don't have one. You need the Mike Riley that can do everything. I respect the hell of the guys that can do you know, pass the ball every single down of the season, stay healthy, which obviously was a struggle for everybody this year, and handle short yardage, and handle your two-point package, and all of those things. I love when one person can do it. But this is not a normal circumstance, Donovan. Like, so I believe that, yes, you can do it. I believe that Winnipeg absolutely can win the Grey Cup. And, and think about where we were by Week 7 when the Tiger Cats played against the Blue Bombers in Hamilton. Winnipeg was the best team in the Canadian Football League, and it wasn't close. Like, they were running away with that group has the best defensive line. They're going to get Jackson Jeffcoat back. They've got Adam Big Kill. They've got Marcus Sales playing at a high level. They've got Winston Rose picking off everybody. They've got a return game with Janarian Grant alongside Lucky Whitehead. They've got the ground game with Andrew Harris. They've got the, the efficient quarterback called the game manager in Matt Nichols. They've got Nick Dembski going at a new level. Like, all of these things at that point in the season, we're looking at it and we're like, okay, that's the Great Cup favorite. What changed between then and now? Obviously, Nichols goes down. Strevler shows he's not really ready to be an all-the-time passer and a starting quarterback in this league. And so Paul Lapolis, you start looking around, and you realize you've got an offensive coordinator that had a great defense and special teams unit that's got a great head coach that allows him to be able to operate the way he needs to. And now you've got these singular skills. Like I find sometimes the thing that we miss, whether it's Grey Cups, Vanier Cups, otherwise in Canadian football, is the most powerful thing you can have is when somebody is assigned a role and they embrace that role. Chris Trevler has embraced the fact that he has essentially been benched. Like, put that in perspective. How many guys get benched and then are told, listen, you're not a good enough thrower, so in the Western semifinal, you're going to take 23 snaps, and there's going to be about 18 runs called, and you're going to run 13 times of those, even though you might have torn ligaments in your ankle and a broken foot. Like, to me, that is amazing that he's accepted that role, and not just accepted it, but embraced it, and now he's excelling at taking on that role. I think if they have the ability to use him in a creative way, which they have done, whether it's him as a wide receiver taking jet sweeps, 
doing zone read, which really opened up the Nick Dembski long touchdown run in the Western semifinal. Uh, or if they're using him even on play action, because you know that's coming at some point because they're going to break the tendency of him only calling running plays when he's in the ball, in the ball game. At that point, I think you get to a, a realization that, okay, they're throwing a curveball at teams that's so specified and so excellent at what he does that it's different than just having like Jordan Lynch come in to mix things up when Mike Riley was injured back in Edmonton a couple of years ago or uh, other names of that, like where you'd have that option quarterback. Strevler's not an option quarterback. He's a really good running quarterback that can surprise you with his arm at times. He's just not consistent enough with his arm to get by. So that's when you bring in Zach Kalaros. Kalaros should get about 70, I would say, to 80% of the snaps. But the counterpunch of having Strevler is the most unique one-two punch we've seen in the CFL in recent quarterback history. So yeah, they can absolutely win because they've got the team around them. They've accepted their roles, and now they're trying to perfect every snap that they run. It's so specified and so prepared and so unique that I really can see them going on to win a great cup with those two. All right, okay. I feel the Tiger Cat fans in my mentions. This is an East preview. You signed up to listen to a breakdown of the game. So we will get back to the task at hand. And, and I ask you this question. I I will start it with a statement. I believe that Coach Steinhauer is going to be named Coach of the Year. I believe that Brandon Banks is going to be the most outstanding player. And I know that there are 13 Tiger Cats who are East All-Stars, and this team has not lost a game at home this year. Having said all of that, they are and should be heavy favorites. Is this year a failure if they don't get to a great cup. I don't want to say win one because only one team can win one. But with all of this talent and home field advantage and the fact that Edmonton is on the road, still in the East, and we know what the crossover does. Teams don't cross over and get to, never mind, win great cups. Is this your failure if they don't punch their ticket to Calgary this weekend? I believe so. Uh, I do. And the reason that I say that is not because of the history of the crossover and it's not because I... I believe that the Edmonton Eskimos are a bad football team and that if they don't beat Edmonton in the Eastern final that they've completely fallen off the rails and and nothing else mattered the reality is that the CFL playoffs are a three-week sprint and if you have the bye week like the Ticats and you have the ability to scout an opponent as long as they've been able to here knowing who they were going to get in the crossover either Montreal or Edmonton plus the bye week for yourself that's when you start to realize to me Donovan that they have to be the most prepared football team on that field they also have to be the most physically prepared football team on that field because they've been practicing for a month with a plan in place from Coach O, understanding that all that matters is being mentally and physically prepared to go out there and play your very best football game on November 17th. They've known that since way before Halloween. Like It almost reaches back to like Thanksgiving to the point where they knew, okay, this is what we have to do moving forward, and now let's take every step possible to be ready. If you do all of those things as well as they've done, whether it's winning the last three games of the year or being able to set the franchise record or physically prepare yourself or scout all the time, if you do all of that and you don't get a win, that's a disappointment. That is a failure. Like I would define that as being a failure. Uh, with that being said, man, Trevor Harris. I mean, <laughs> like it's if Trevor Harris comes in and completes ninety percent of his passes and acts like he did in the Eastern Final last year, it's going to be a four quarter football game. And I think, regardless, it's probably going to be a four quarter game. And I think that it should be with these two teams because they're more evenly matched than we realize. Because you always look at the West and say to yourself that, well, you know, Edmonton finished fourth, so they can't be that good, and Hamilton's first. So, no, no, like, I saw the Toronto Argonauts, who barely squeaked into the playoffs in 2017, beat the Calgary Stampeders. 
I understand that was in the Great Cup, not in a divisional final. But what I'm saying here is, in these moments, you have to make plays on the field that day or nothing else matters. And I feel like for Hamilton, it's going to come down to Trevor Harris is going to make 35 completions in that game out of 40, 45, 50, whatever passing attempts. He's going to move the ball. Like These are facts to me. He's going to move the ball. He's going to be efficient. He's going to get yardage, and he's going to put up points. There's nothing wrong with that. You basically have to rely on the fact that, yeah, he's really good at what he does. We can play great defense, rally to the ball, but we're not necessarily going to get stops every single possession. The The real fact of this game for me, guys, comes down to can Hamilton's offense answer? And can they answer when the crowd is maybe a little bit frustrated by the fact that Trevor Harris is doing what Trevor Harris does, which is drive the field and score points on you, even though they have a great defense? For Hamilton, I think this comes down to do you have the ability to be able to get a stop here and a stop there or a turnover, have your offense be effective enough to put Trevor behind and maybe get him out of that dink and dunk offense all the way down the field. And if they do that, it won't be a failure. And they'll move on to the Grey Cup and all bets are off in a Grey Cup in Calgary. So Marsh, you follow this team. You saw what Trevor did and compared him to Ricky Ray. We all we all saw how great he was last week and, and last year in the playoffs. If you're trying to convince a Ticap backer why this why this Hamilton defense is different than Montreal's and what they can do to slow down, not stop Trevor, but slow Trevor down and that uh, you know quote unquote dink and dunk that you saw. What could, what will they do and can they do other than the obvious that they have a good D line? Yeah, the thing that I, I think I come back to every time that I think about this question is last year when Jerry Glanville was the defensive coordinator in Hamilton and he had played against the Ottawa Red Blacks three times in the regular season in his only season in the CFL coaching. And I remember asking Jerry before the playoff game in the Eastern Final against Trevor Harris when he, of course, lit him up for the six touchdowns and whatnot. I said, um, <laughs> what do you do to try and slow down Trevor Harris at this point? And Jerry just kind of like leaned back and said, well, you know, we've done just about everything. And I guess we just got to hope for a turnover. And then he stopped talking. And I was like, <laughs> uh, like that doesn't give you a lot of confidence. But it, that's somebody who has been at every level of football a lifer at 75 years old, and he's looking at that offense, the way they ran it with Jamie Elizondo and Trevor Harris and all the rest, and saying, yeah, I don't know, I guess we got to hope for a turnover. Like, the hopelessness of a coach that's seen everything and knows how to play every style of defense, to me, was amazing. And that's kind of how I feel going into this game, is I think the reality is Trevor's going to do what Trevor does, because Jason Moss has built something around him that is perfect for him to be able to have success. If you decide to heat him up, He'll kill you because he has his blitz beaters memorized. Like, he knows exactly where to, where to go with the ball. If you want to play zone, he'll throw in between linebackers, in between coverage. If you want to play man and you want to not rush people, he's going to beat you with his receivers like Greg Ellingson, DeVaris Daniels, down the field, and he'll take some shots as well. Like, he sees everything so well. That's the difference between him and I think every other quarterback in the CFL right now, especially in that first playoff game, is he sees through defenses – he diagnoses so quickly, and he knows where to go with the football. And then he's just accurate, and he just he has a good arm, and he knows where to put the rock. The Hamilton backers that I just asked you to convince that uh, that they're going to stop Trevor are just all just hung up and uh, turned the show off. <laughs> I'm telling you, though, like he's going he's gonna to move the ball, and he's going to do what he does because he sees it. The answer is to be able to get the pass rush. Yeah, maybe you, you get a sack or two here or there, and maybe you get an opportunity to force a fumble. Or like this game is going to come down to any positives against Trevor Harris, I genuinely believe, guys, are a good thing. Now, the one thing you can take away is while you're trying to deal with all of that is C.J. Gable and trying to focus in on, okay, 
if he's going to be dominant, let's at least make him dominant and one-dimensional. Like, let's force him to throw the ball 60 times like he did in, the, I believe, the 2017 Eastern semifinal when the Riders went in and were able to defeat Ottawa with Trevor Harris at the helm. He threw the ball a million times in that game because Chris Jones just decided, yeah, you know what? If you're going to beat us, it's going to be you that beats us and nobody else. So maybe that's what Mark Washington does. I'm honestly... I don't have the answers on how they're going to defend him. I don't think there's a perfect answer for how you stop him to answer your question, Davis. But I do think Mark Washington and Orlando Steinauer are going to throw the kitchen sink at him in a couple of different ways. Not necessarily just blitzing, but they're just going to mix and match and be creative. And I'm excited to see what that looks like as a football fan as much as anything else. So the Tigercats are not the only Hamilton-based football team playing football this weekend. As you well know, because you're a proud alum, the Mac men will be far from their home as they go out west trying to bring another Vanier back to McMaster. There's people often talk about you sports and they get upset because of the lack of parity. Well, the last two teams that were in Vanier Cups who were ranked one and two in the nation. Both were ousted in the conference finals this past weekend. Marshall Ferguson, the team that is going to win the Vanier Cup in 2019 is who and why? It is the McMaster Marauders, and it is McMaster not because of Homer guy and not because of alum guy. It's McMaster because I think Montreal is not as strong as they've been in the past. The fact that both them and Laval were inconsistent throughout the year, um, I feel as though Montreal's a good team. Montreal should beat Acadia. We all understand the struggles of the AUS once they leave conference play. With that being said, I think Hunter Gennard's a great quarterback. I think that Dale Sands is a great running back for Acadia, but um, that's a that's a tough kind of hill for them to climb. Montreal should be playing in Quebec City for the Vanier Cup. Now, I talked with Wayne Harris Jr. back at the East-West Bowl in Ottawa this past spring about his team, and he said people don't realize, like when we lost the Hardy Cup in 2018 to the University of Saskatchewan and Scott Flory's big offensive line and running game, we're crazy young. Like people think that Calgary is constantly just a bunch of fourth and fifth years that are all going to get drafted. They've been spoiled to have that veteran presence, but this year they're a lot younger. And last year they were crazy young. So I think Calgary is going to be a dominant program again in a couple of years. I do feel like, though, that right now this might be one of those kind of learning experiences, a bump in the road where they look, we look back and we say, okay, Calgary won the Vanier Cup in you know, 2022 and 2023. Well, why did they win those Vanier Cups? Well, because they lost in the Hardy Cup in 18. They lost in the Mitchell Bowl in 19 to McMaster. And if Mac gets there against Montreal, like playing in Quebec, I know firsthand against the Caravan is never an easy thing. But Andres Duex a hell of a lot better quarterback than I ever was. And I'm watching him play right now. And the way that he's approaching it, the help that he's got around him with a veteran running game, with an offensive line starting to move some people, a good pass rush. Scott Brady's dialing up some great coverages as the defensive coordinator in Hamilton. So uh, I think McMaster has a great chance to be able to do it, but it's going to be tough. I mean, playing out there in the West, anytime that you leave your conference, anytime you leave your province, it can do one of two things. And I think both you guys understand this. It can either galvanize you and you can become the most incredibly tight-knit group grow together and play the best game of your life. That's what happened to us in 2011 when we went out to BC, played against Laval and beat them. It can also just be a great challenge for you because you don't have the things that you're used to having. Your preparation doesn't feel the same. And as you go throughout the week, it just doesn't have that magical championship vibe as you're going throughout the process of Vanier Cup week. And so that was us in 2014. Like when I played in Montreal against the Carabins in the Vanier Cup in 2014, we did not have the week of preparation that I think we needed to have in order to be able to win that game. And it showed in the second half of that game where we weren't rock solid in our preparation. And it wasn't on coaches. That was on us as players. Like We did not do a good enough job 
being able to prepare ourselves for that game. So Matt going on the road, they're going to have to go to Calgary. They're going to have to face the adversity of whatever that is. Either it brings them together or splits them apart. And then they're going to have to travel all the way back on a short week and going to Quebec and going to Quebec and playing against a, an RSEQ team is never an easy thing. But if they can do it, Steph Patatsik in his first year back at McMaster would be a hell of a story. Uh, I think you're being a little hard on yourself. You guys take care of the A and B gap uh, on uh, the last field goal try. You you may have a, <laughs> uh, a bigger ring on your finger or two big rings on your finger. I well, suppose. I'll say this though. Um, I, I remember I, in that fourth quarter, there's about five throws and you were covering that game down. There's about five throws that I look back on and I still have nightmares about where I'm like, man, if I make one of those, we probably win the Vanier and don't have to rely on a kicker. But that's kind of the spot that Mac is in where the margin for error, I think, is really, really thin. Well, that's what makes this time of year so fun because we are going to talk about these plays and these throws not just for the next couple of weeks, but for the rest of these players' lives. As This time of year, you, you mentioned it during uh, the 8th Cup broadcast, this time of year is kind of legacy time where legacies are made. I will say, though, uh, I mean, Montreal was literally at home in Montreal when you played them in Quebec. Playing in Quebec City, I almost believe that whoever they play if they in fact get to the Vanier uh, the, the, the Rouge or fans may be cheering for the opponent because the disdain between those programs is so strong um, and, and if it is your Mac Man and McMaster in Hamilton and the Tiger Cats also are playing on that weekend. What a football weekend for one of the strongest football cities in our country and one of the conversations that we constantly have in this country in terms of football. The conversation will start again of should the Grey Cup and the Vanier Cup be in the same place at the same time? Uh, That's a bigger conversation for another day. But uh, I'm looking forward to your conversation about this great sport on all levels. Uh, He is at TSN Marsh. Give him a follow. Give him a listen. If you literally want to listen, you can listen to Marsh and Mellow 6 to 9 a.m. every morning. Thanks for this, Marsh. Thank you, Don. I appreciate you guys. You know what goes great with twisting up the volume on that favorite tune of yours? Twisting up the party with a twisted tea. Made with real tea and a touch of lemon, twisted tea is the hard iced tea that goes down easy. So whether it's game day, beach day, or just the end of a work day, the good times start with a twisted tea. Twisted tea, good times with a twist. John Bowman. Man, you know well, with some emotional words in the locker room, fighting back tears, and you couldn't fight that hard. The tears came. Was that his last game? Was the last time we see John Bowman play in the CFL? No. Okay. You asked me the same question in week five or week one or week ten, I tell you 100% this is last year. 100%. Even last year I would have said it was 100%. The year before I would have said, 80%. 80%. He was too healthy at the end of the year. He was their best pass rusher at the end of the year. It, it makes no end. He's beloved by by the city and that locker room. Like, they respect him. They love him. He'll be back. I would never have thought that. I think, I think actually, I would go as far as saying I'm pretty certain he'll be back. Wow. And listen, sixth all time in sacks with 134. Crazy. He's 37 years old playing defensive end. Eight sacks this year. American. It's insane. That 45 tackles. He, he put in work and was their best 
pass rusher to your point and 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 pass rush for them is an issue like it, it's a credit to him that he was their best pass rusher it's also a problem that he was the best pass rusher why does it matter that uh, when i say he's american at 37 because americans don't last that long in this league there is a million guys every year athletic as heck who can come off the edge in a three-point stance Athletic, let me repeat that, really athletic, come off the edge in a three-point stance and get to the quarterback. And those guys every every year are coming up and can take his job. And, and are willing to do it for half the money. Exactly. And one can't. Like, I always say this. I played till I was 36. The difference, I'm Canadian. There's not – there wasn't as – and it's not, so, it's not a knock on myself or to diminish what I've done or diminish any other Canadian players, but there's not as many people that are qualified to take your job. That's just factual. There's not as many if – I, if I was American corner, I, wouldn't, I couldn't have played until I was 36. There's so many more guys capable of coming and taking my job and are at par with me when it comes to um, the roster. When in, in a Canadian, you have to, to find a Canadian kid who is – uh, is good enough at that point in time and, and experienced enough to come in, whether they've only played, haven't played in the NFL or big time American college football, whatever it may be. John Bowman has all these NFL guys who are cuts, guys who have played like me, played a couple seasons in the NFL. Those guys are all looking for jobs too, not just college guys. Remember, NFL cuts come up every year, tons of them. We don't know about it because no one knows who they are. We don't hear about them because they don't ever become anything here, 90, 80% of them, but they're all here. And none of those guys can beat out John Bowman. It's crazy. Here's the it's other crazy. Th- here's the other thing. He had some other locker room cleanup sound, and you've had to do it as a player. People just are trying to get their obligation done and get out of there. When asked about Kari so Jones. So hungover, too, that day? <laughs> after Black uh, Monday? There's a picture somewhere. I think they had it. I think they had it here in the office. Someone had it. It's me sitting in my locker with flip-flops. Oh, some artful artful Dodger jeans. You remember Artful Dodger? I do. Some flip-flops, artful Dodger jeans, and a hoodie over my head on, and with a garbage bag beside me. I'm so hungover and hurting. That's a, that's a tough day for numerous reasons. Yeah, so this after you your season has ended, even if it's on a Sunday in the playoffs, that next Monday, or Black Monday, because some people get blackout, um, the team normally tears down the town because that's probably the last time that team is going to be together and you kind of drink through your sorrow so i understand why it'd be tough to do locker clean out day but those guys when asked about their coach kahari and the fact that he's on an interim deal that want him back he he said he did not say he should be back he earned the right to be back he said we want him back we as in like he was still present who john john bowman yeah and, and still one of the guys not that like i would like to see him back so why you he set deserves- me up no why no, no ask I- me if i think he's come back or not when you already knew well because i think that his passport would say that he he's going to start asking questions about how long he wants to continue to be playing football not just where he's from but also his age but also as I said before, he was crying talking about the season being over. And I actually think, to your point, I'm more surprised he came back last year than, than if he were to come back again this year because it's hard to leave when you're close. This team just needs a little bit more. The little bit, uh, like Vernon Adams gets a little bit more experience. I think when you're close and you can see I could lift another great cup, it's, it would be, for me, Harder to leave. 
it, fair, it, fair, it, that's fair. Yeah, that's if, fair. If you're getting the brakes beaten off you like they were last year, then it's a lot easier to leave. Although the, the paycheck makes it somewhat easy to, mm-hmm. to, to come back if you need it. The other sound I want to ask you why about do you, before why do you we leave. point at me so when we're doing a podcast so much? He, I don't know. Donovan's like a touchy. He's a touch, you know what it is because he's very well spoken and he's uh, he's very polished. So when he speaks, he's I'm like sitting back in my chair with my feet up and mumbling. And Donovan's very um, pronounced and articulate, and he points a lot when he talks. I, I Take speak your fingers with, out of my face. I speak with my hands. What do you want me to do? Uh, did you hear or see? the sound of Vernon Adams on the sideline being consoled by his offensive lineman, Christian Matt. Yo, Vern. Vern. Look at me. Look at me, man. <laughs> Keep your head up, bro. No one expected shit out of you all f***ing year. No one expected shit from any of us. All right? All right? We got something to build on. All right? You've given us something to build on and believe in. So don't forget that, all right? Yes, sir. Don't forget it. Yes, sir. All right, I love you, bud. Love you, bud. Wow. Dude, can I tell you something? I don't even need to ask a question. Just speak Dude, on it. I just got emotional. I haven't. I didn't see or hear that. I actually, tears are coming from my chest up to my head right now, and I'm not. There's no faking that at all. I actually just got emotional. Almost dropped a tear. That is, uh, that's strong. Wow. Genuine, strong, real. Like, that is uh, Christian Matt's a good dude. And that was, you could tell that came from the heart. He, that came from the heart. You could tell that really, um, that's a tight group. That there's no, uh, that's a tight group. Wow. I, was, I, and I think, that was strong. For John Bowman, it's tough to leave that, right? You, there's no, there is nothing else in life. Wow, that was great. Look, so we're teammates on this podcast. Are we playing that for them? That's our play, huh? That's yes. really good. Yeah. Wow. There's that, some cuss words in there. We'll, we'll, we'll work it out. We'll bleep okay. it out. We, wow. we have high-level production on the Waggle. Wow, that was great. Shout out to Hannah and Kyle. That's the, best, that's the best audio that I've seen. All, I've heard. You don't see audio. That's <laughs> the best audio I've heard all season long, maybe in a long, long time. That's that's football to me right wow. there. Right? If you if you said you need to show a 30-second clip or in this mm-hmm. case here a 30-second clip that describes and encapsulates what football is, no doubt. that's what I would play. And what a, and a team. Yeah. And a th- and what a team is and the camaraderie and what you build as a family together in a season, that's what it is. Yeah. And that's wow. and that's the relationship wow. that an offensive line has with Quarterback, one one that they they like and they're really willing to ride for. There's a lot of bullshit that people say. Yes, and yes, we see is. the clips in the locker room after the game, and we we hear the audio clips. There's no bullshit there. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, there is the mic'd up that is just talking to talk. Today is our day, and it starts sixty minutes every play. Eat some eat some W's. <laughs> Yes, um, that that was real. That was real life. Wow, uh, and that's why I love the waggle because we can we talk about football. We can, we can talk about we can have a hug after this next time. Next commercial break, we have a hug. Me and you, DJ. There's no next commercial break. That's oh. it. Oh, okay, that is all for the waggle. The East's preview. If you want more waggle, giving you a double dip this week. Make sure you go on to wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the West preview as well. And we're gonna have some treats for you next week as we set up Grey Cup. Presented by Shaw. Thank you for listening to The Waggle. Brought to you by Sparklips. <laughs>